Hagar, Egyptian, foreigner, slave, woman. In Beersheba, simply one of these characteristics could make you invisible. No one seems to notice Hagar unless it serves them in some way. She is simply a pawn in the economic system, which is largely dependent on slave labor. In fact, Hagar is not even mentioned in the biblical narrative until Sarai, her mistress, has trouble conceiving. Turns out another way to feel invisible in this time and place was the inability to bear a male heir. Mind you, Hagar's brief story comes on the heels of a very important promise, a promise that God makes to Abraham, that his descendants will be too numerous to count, a promise in the form of an ancient suzerain treaty where God himself walks through the sacrifice. You see, Yahweh is already accustomed to showing up in unexpected places and spaces. Hagar is an Egyptian and was likely acquired when Abram and Sarai visited Egypt. Maybe you remember the story. Abram and Sarai go to Egypt because there was a severe famine in the land. Before they arrive, Abram comes up with a plan to protect himself at the expense of his wife. When they get to Egypt, Abram swears that Sarai is his sister. Her wishes are not consulted. This is merely a transaction for their protection. And the Pharaoh takes her into his home. Of course, things start to go bad, and Pharaoh is grieved when he finds out about Abram's lie. And he sends them away with everything that he had given them, including female slaves. Hagar is a slave, and her acquisition is preceded by the fear and mistrust in the providence of God. Ironic that she is a slave to Abram, whose descendants would one day be slaves to the Egyptians. Hagar is a foreigner, dark skin and a foreign tongue in a strange land. How is it possible to be invisible and yet conspicuous all at the same time? People in the marketplace gawk at her dark complexion and what they perceive to be exotic beauty, and yet are dismissive and fearful of her all at the same time. To them, she is merely a possession. And when their consciences are pricked by the cruel realities of human trafficking, they reason that this is how the economy thrives and their guilt again is absolved. Hagar is a woman. As if she did not have enough strikes against her, she just so happened to be born female. A prayer found in the Siddur, a Jewish prayer book, has a prayer that says, Blessed are you, O God, King of the universe, who has not made me a Gentile, a slave, and a woman. Hagar was all three. She is the trifecta of all that is invisible and deplorable in both religion and society. Even a well-connected woman such as Sarai has very little agency, and Hagar just so happened to belong to a woman who, despite her legendary beauty and infectious laughter, is called barren. Barren. Sarah, Sarai could not bear a son and therefore is thought to be worthless in an economy that values production, labor, power, and progeny above all else. So as they say, desperate times call for desperate measures. Of course Sarai knows about the promise, but let's face it, she's not getting any younger. And every time she goes to the well to draw water, 
Her reflection in the spring is yet another reminder that she is no longer of childbearing age. The deep laugh lines and the long, wiry gray hair seem to taunt her. The newness and the grandeur of the promise had worn off, and Sarai is tired. She's tired of waiting. She's tired of attending baby showers. She's tired of making baskets and weaving blankets for children that are not her own. Sarai prayed for a son, but she believes that God has prevented her from bearing a child. She believes that God does not see her. She believes that she is invisible. The midwives in the village give her special herbs at her request, but warn her that if she does conceive, she will be considered a high-risk geriatric pregnancy. And because of her desperation, she takes the promise into her own hands and casually informs Hagar of her duties. Hagar is, after all, property, so she is not consulted. She is simply told that she will be given to her mistress's husband, Abram. And like Hagar's acquisition in Egypt, at the heart of Sarai's latest transgression is a mistrust in the providence of God. You see, it was believed in that time in the, in the ancient Near East that if a female slave or free gave birth in the lap of a woman that is barren, it will open up her womb and she will be cured of her infertility. Not to mention that Hagar's baby would belong to Sarai because Hagar was her slave. The scriptures say that when Hagar's belly began to grow and her face began to glisten and she felt the first fierce kicks of this child who would one day be called a wild donkey of a man, that she began to treat her mistress, Sari, with contempt. Mind you, none of the scribes bothered to ask for her side of the story. You see, historians have not traditionally been all that interested in the account of slaves or women or foreigners. Had they asked, Hagar might have said that she was not filled with contempt, but with hope. For the first time in her life, something belonged to her. Had they asked her, she might have admitted that ever since she discovered that she was with child, she cannot help singing a lullaby she barely recalls the words to. A lullaby she has fractured memories of her own mother singing to her as a child in Egypt. I imagine it went something like this. Wait in the water, wait in the water, children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Had the scribes asked her for her account, she might have said that her new husband Abram noticed her for the first time since she conceived, not as an object or a piece of property or an economic commodity, but as a human. He noticed the glow of her cheeks and the broadening of her hips and the roundness of her belly. This is his child. And she prays to every God she knows for a son because for a moment she feels seen. But as you may know, being visible as a woman, a slave, a foreigner, can be a dangerous thing. In some ways, it was easier for Hagar when she could fly under the radar. Some of you know what I mean. 
She could put up with the harsh words and long hours, but Sarai had not traditionally been violent with her. This would change. The scriptural account in Genesis 16, 4 and 5 says, And when she, Hagar, saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. What the scriptures should have said, but conveniently left out, is that Sarai's contempt for Hagar grew. Just as Hagar's belly grew, Sarai's contempt for her slave grew. It grew until it came to physical blows and threats to her life and the life of her child. Hagar, once invisible, was now a very visible threat to everything Sarai held dear. And this so-called contempt on the part of Hagar is enough to push Sarai's bruised ego right over the edge. To be fair, she is a victim too, albeit to a lesser degree. She is a victim to the way society views her. She mistakenly believes the name that society gives her, barren. And because of this, Hagar becomes a victim to her mistress's misfortune, collateral damage. Hagar is a refugee fleeing a violent and jealous mistress who had put her into the situation in the first place, fleeing into the wilderness to miscarry or die of dehydration or childbirth or attack by wild animal. Hagar is afraid for her life and the life of her unborn baby. And as many mothers will tell you, sometimes a child is just the catalyst that one needs to leave a dangerous situation. And this is where we find Hagar, in the wilderness, lips parched, labor pains ignited, sweat running from her face, blood running down her legs. After wandering for what seems like days, she falls to her knees under the weight of her pregnant belly by a pool of water. After laying there for an unknown period of time, she is roused from her half-dead state to a voice that sounds like her mother, but carries the authority of one of the gods. Wait in the water. Wait in the water, children. Wait in the water. God's gonna trouble the water. Moot. Hagar manages to whisper the word mother in her native tongue. Moot, she says again. The Hebrew scriptures say that an angel of the Lord found her by the spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur, her homeland. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? What a strange question. For the biblical account is clear that she is on her way to Shur. And the stranger said her name. She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. 
He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his head against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over and against all his kinsmen. In one breath, her pregnancy test is confirmed. The gender reveal has taken place. The name of the child has been announced and the freedom of her offspring is promised. What may at first seem like a divine condoning of a faulty economic system is actually a promise that her son will be free. After all, this wild donkey of a man will not likely be taking orders from anyone. Newly emboldened by the promise, the scriptures say, she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, Elroy. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here, I have seen the one who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahairoi. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. Because of the promise, Hagar knew that if she bore this son, generations would be free. What appears to be a life sentence straight back into captivity is actually the beginning of freedom for Hagar and her offspring. Have you ever felt invisible, ignored by your colleagues in a business meeting, rejected by your spouse, forgotten by your children, dismissed because of your youth or lack of experience, deemed irrelevant because you are no longer the newest, shiniest penny? Perhaps your invisibility comes from your grief or pain of divorce. Perhaps it simply comes from feeling misunderstood or maybe it comes from the confines of a painful physical or mental illness. Or perhaps like Hagar, to be seen for who you truly are in certain churches or circles or neighborhoods is scary and possibly even dangerous. Sometimes it feels easier to be invisible. Maybe you feel alone, forgotten in a desert of fear, a slave to uncertainty and doubt. There is a God who sees you, a God who hears you. His name is El Roy. I have felt invisible many times, in depression, in my divorce, in my profession, in church, as a single woman, as a single mother. This is Hagar's story, but it is my story. And it is your story too. Ah, uh, yes, many have drunk from the well of Hagar. The Hebrew midwives, Rahab, Mary Magdalene, the Samaritan woman at the well, the Syrophoenician woman who asked for healing for her daughter, the mothers who watched their sons get lynched, and the grandmothers who watched their grandchildren gunned down, the mamas who are separated from their children on the borders, the mothers of Ahmad Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd, and the millions of black and brown people whose names are forgotten, but our God, the God of Hagar, sees and knows every single one. And when complicity seems to rule, when fear and greed and power are the currency of this kingdom, our God says, my kingdom is not of this world. And in God's kingdom, the currency is character, human compassion, love, joy, 
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Hagar, Egyptian, foreigner, slave, woman, is the only character in the Bible who dares to name God. She must have known that the God of your master or the God of your parents or grandparents is sometimes too harsh or too small or too exclusive. She must have known that sometimes you have to experience the God of the universe on your own terms to see for yourself the one who sees you. Perhaps you feel invisible, forgotten, unable to make a way for yourself. Or perhaps that you feel for the first time like you need to be that messenger in the desert that bears witness, that sees and hears the atrocities and responds like the God of Hagar, I see you. And in doing so, lives might be changed and people might just come to know a God who sees and hears. A God that brings fresh hope and a new promise. A way when our backs are against the wall. How do we make people visible in our communities, in our world? What would it look like in this season of COVID-19? How do we give voices to those stories and faces who would otherwise be forgotten or discarded? I wonder who God sees in these moments, people who are outside of our peripheral vision. I imagine God sees the worker at the food processing plant that gets up early every morning to support their family, but is fearful for their life and safety. I imagine God sees the single mom who is working from home and trying to homeschool her children and is just trying to hold it all together. I imagine God sees the healthcare workers the nurses and doctors, paramedics, fire department, police department who are exposed to fear and suffering and anger every day. Those who wonder if there will be a fresh supply of PPE for the next day. I imagine God sees the essential workers, those in the fields picking our produce, those who drive the trucks to make those deliveries, those who stock our shelves and check out our groceries. The person who struggles every day with mental illness. The mother of an autistic child who is missing her school and her support system. The woman who feels trapped in her home with an abusive partner. The young dad who lost his job and feels like he is failing his family and wonders if he would be better off dead. A woman experiencing homelessness who wakes up on the streets fearful and forgotten. The child that feels afraid to be at home with her mother who drinks too much. The person who is wondering how she will keep her business alive in this period of shutdown. The elderly woman who is now stuck in an assisted living facility without visitors. The man in prison who fears an outbreak. The migrant worker afraid of the virus and the working conditions and what this might mean for his family and friends. I wonder if God sees those who are filled with anxiety and an endless loop of theories about what is and what might be. Those fearful that their religious rights are being infringed upon. Those who feel like all their power has been taken away. Because this is Hagar's story, but it's my story and it's your story too.
And the God of Hagar shows up in our powerlessness. God makes a way for the invisible, the powerless, the vulnerable, the trampled on by society, the forgotten. And Hagar's naming of God becomes the theme of scripture, a God who sees and a God who hears. Genesis 16, 15 through 16 says, And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. You see, I believe that the birth of Ishmael, which means God hears, foreshadows the birth of Christ, the ultimate incarnation of Elroy, a God who sees. Hagar does as God says and returns to Sarai. And while her circumstances do not seem to change much, she knows that God sees her and hears her and has made a way for her offspring to be free. There is a God who sees the invisible, the forgotten, the disposable, the obsolete. And this God will make a way even when there seems to be no way forward. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is also the God of Hagar and the God of anyone who has ever felt invisible. Hagar's God is my God and your God too. The song of Mary in Luke 1 is reminiscent of the song of Hagar. For Mary sings of the God of Hagar. She sings of a God who has been mindful of her humble state, a God who sees and a God who, through the birth of a son, promises freedom for generations. I imagine Mary's Magnificat sounded something like this. Wait in the water, wait in the water, children, wait in the water. God's gonna trouble, God's gonna trouble the water. Again, thank you for joining us this week. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and we're so glad you worshiped with us this Sabbath. Please let us know where you're joining us from. You can send us a message on our social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, on our church website. And we pray that you have a wonderful week and God's richest blessings go with you.